sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. By now, it is no surprise that the Supreme Court reversed Roe versus Wade and has sent the issue of abortion back to the states, where there has been considerable amount of legislative activity, both for and especially against. But much of the activity reflects values that are rooted in Roman Catholicism, in evangelical Protestantism, but they're not the only religions that have concerns and values when it comes to human life and life that is not yet born. Our guest today, Richard Fulton, is a longtime kind of a dean of the religious freedom community. He serves as a fellow for religious freedom at the Freedom Forum, and have counted him a friend over the years. We've worked together for many, many years. Richard, welcome back to Freedom's Ring. Alan, it's great to be with you as always. So, you know, for starters, maybe just an overview of kind of where we stand in light of the Supreme Court's decision in Dobbs, Mm -hmm. and, you know, where the energy has been on, you know, further state restrictions on abortion. So, First, it's worth it to note with respect to Dobbs, which is, of course, the Supreme Court decision, which by a six to three vote overturned Roe, uh, actually five to four overturning Roe completely. One justice, of course, would have more narrowly ruled. And it's what's important to note about that decision is that the word religion, I think, does not even appear in the decision. The Supreme Court basically engaged in what at least the majority seemed to think they an occasion of constitutional principles about what right, what kind of uh, unenumerated rights exist in the Constitution and doing away with the notion that the right of right to an abortion is among the unenumerated rights that, that are mentioned in the Constitution. Uh, basically doing away with that aspect of the right of privacy. Uh, so, and and then relegate to the states the determination as to whether and how to regulate abortions. So the term religion, uh, we, we have to understand, does not does not appear in in the decision. That does not at least explicitly inform what the court is doing. Uh, at the state level, then you have a number of states that had laws prohibiting abortion to a greater or lesser extent already in place, which came into effect as a result of Dobbs. Others had so-called trigger laws, which said that as soon as Roe was uh, overturned, their restrictions would go into effect. And then you have other states that are considering enacting new restrictions that have not previously been in place, uh, as well as states, of course, that allow abortion to to a great extent. So you you really have a country which now has greatly varied regulations and restrictions in this area, and we're going to continue to see that dynamic for some time to come. That we're going to see states uh, doing very different things in this in this very contentious area. And, you know, it's well that you start by pointing out that the Supreme Court approached this without any reference to religion, because where we want to go now is the fact that, yes, there are very different religious perspectives when it comes to abortion, 
you know, speaking as a Christian, I would point out that Protestantism used to be, uh, you know, far more moderate in the kind of consensus approach that abortion is is wrong, except, you know, to save for the life and health of the mother in cases of rape or incest, but that evangelicals have moved closer to the, the Roman Catholic position, which is a pretty absolutist position based on, you know, their view of, of human life beginning at conception. But let's talk first, I think, about the religious perspective you're most familiar with, which is the Jewish perspective. How does that differ from, from Catholic perspectives? And how might that be? And the follow-up is going to be, how is that implicated in terms of, of how the laws develop and religious freedom? Well, you know, just as there's no one Christian perspective, because of course there are plenty of Christians that dispute uh, the definition of life that is implicit in many of these regulations affecting abortion, it's difficult to talk about the Jewish perspective on virtually anything, uh, but there is a an overall theme that you find ranging from the from Orthodox to Reform, which is that there's a religious duty to preserve the life, health, and well-being of a pregnant woman, regardless of the timing, and that uh, you know even though many of these states that have enacted restrictions do talk about allowing abortions where the life of the woman is endangered, the pregnant woman. Uh, that standard, as we've seen from some of the real-life situations that have been taking place, doesn't give a lot of clarity for doctors as to when they may safely go forward with, with an abortion without legal risk to themselves. And that uncertainty is un- inconsistent with the requirements of Jewish law as widely understood that it's not only when the wife, they, not the wife, so the woman's life is in danger that abortion is required, but really a danger to physical health, even in, in some views to mental health, is sufficient to require, not even permit, but to require that the abortion take place because the, the life and well-being of the woman is paramount. And that, of course, has to do with the interpretation of when life begins. The, you know, it's widely stated that even though there, there are in, certainly powerful interests in terms of preserving fetus reduced perspective, life itself does not begin, in some views, till the actual time of birth. Uh, and that's based on some biblical references to the breath of life being put into a person at birth, not to mention a, uh, a reference in the Torah, you know, if you take the life of a woman, there's a death penalty involved, as if any other person, but if you cause injury to a woman that results in the, in the demise of the fetus, uh, you pay a fine. The person that precipitated pays a fine. So clearly, the fetus is not seen in the same way as the, you know, seen being a fully alive human being yet at that point. That only occurs later. So, so Richard, there, of course, question. Uh, yeah. You know, since we're on kind of the biblical, you know, precursors, first of all, there's also a passage, I want to say in Numbers, it's kind of a trial by ordeal where a woman is accused of adultery and is brought to the temple. And I believe it's some kind of potion that she drinks. And if, in fact, she was guilty of adultery, she will effectively abort right there on the temple floor. Uh, if they haven't read it in too really. But, you know, to some observers, that kind of suggests less than complete protection for the fetus, mm-hmm. the same way that, uh, you know, God would respect, uh, you know, the, the taking of a human life. Yeah. Does that passage figure in Jewish thought at all? I haven't seen much reference to it. Uh, it's, that's an interesting observation, and uh, I must confess, I also haven't read that passage in a while. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I'll accept your rendition of it. But the writings I have seen 
have by and large referenced the two aspects I've, I've talked about, mainly talking about the breath of life and also talking about the uh, the penalty for causing the death of the fetus. That, uh, and so for those who are interested in looking those up, the first one, I believe, is Genesis 2, and the second one is right after the Ten Commandments. I want to say uh, Exodus 21. In, I don't know if the numbering is different in the Jewish Bible. In the Christian Bible, I believe it's like verse 22. But um, yeah, so this has given rise to that's actually an annotation system is something we actually borrowed from Christians. So it's pretty much the uh, same. We, we, <laughs> the Jews hadn't numbered them until that was done some point long ago. So uh, by Christian scholars. So moving along, you know, these differences have given rise to at least one lawsuit that I'm aware of that was filed, I believe, in Florida by a synagogue. Can you talk about the kinds of legal challenges either in in that case? or, you know, that you would anticipate from the Jewish community? Sure. So there's that lawsuit. There's a lawsuit by the Temple of Satan in Texas. I just like always to throw that in. Uh, so I think there's two major themes running through these questions about uh, church-state separation and the laws against abortion. One is a contention, which really amounts to sort of establishment clause contention, saying what these states are doing is codifying a particular religious perspective as to when life begins, and the very act of so restricting abortion goes beyond any secular interest, is in fact a codification of a religious norm. Uh, the only time the Supreme Court has spoken to this that I'm aware of was a dissenting part by Justice Stevens in a case arising out of Missouri uh, called Webster uh, a good while ago, several decades ago, in which because there was a preamble to the statute talking about a particular religious perspective, on when life begins, Justice Stevens said that that law was unconstitutional because that preamble clearly indicated that there was a religious purpose in, involved in enacting this legislation. But he went on to say, even and the majority disagreed with him. Chief Justice Rehnquist wrote the opinion for the majority, upholding the statute in the face of that of that uh, problematic preamble. But even Justice Stevens said that the mere congruity of a of a regulation with a religious precept doesn't mean that there's an establishment clause violation. And even now, people beginning to raise claims and that maybe maybe more in the press than in court at this point, but beginning to say that they see challenges to these these very strict prohibitions that arise out of the fact, as they see it, these prohibitions are being put in place based upon religious norms. Uh, but that point of view couldn't prevail back in those days, I think, with the present court, uh, the chances that the current court would agree that there's anything but a secular, or let me rather say that there's not a secular purpose to enacting these regulations, it seems to me unlikely that you're going to get there with this court. But, you know, people are free to make that effort. Yeah. I would also point out that I think it was in Carson against Macon that the court formally rejected the test known as the lemon test that requires a secular purpose. Right. And so, you know, it's an open question anymore whether the court would even care right. if, even if it were established that there was a, a distinctly religious purpose behind the law, the court might not care about that. Yeah. But I think the free exercise challenge right. is probably more in keeping with the court does seem to have great interest and respect for protecting free exercise of religion. Uh, talk about that approach. Okay, so that's the no establishment. Just we've been talking about the no establishment clause, and on the other hand, of course, there are constitutional and statutory protections of the free exercise of religion. And here you get 
what's sort of a, a standard free exercise claim is this law has a particular impact in terms of not allowing me to live in accord with my religious precepts. It either forces me to carry out an act that's in violation of my religious precepts or forbids me from doing something that's required, or not even required, but that's consistent with my religious precepts. And, you know, without going into the long and sorry history of this, you don't have terribly much protection in that regard from a, a state action in terms of the federal constitution because legislation which was intended to enhance protections against this kind of interference with religious precepts was struck down by, as applicable to the states by the Supreme Court. So if the federal government would act in a way that further restricted abortion, uh, you might have a claim based on the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, but not otherwise. However, a number of states have enacted their own versions of that Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which accorded greater protection for exercise of religion. And in addition, states have their own constitutions, which some states have read in a fashion that's more protective of religious practices than other states have. So it's really the state courts where the action is going to be and where the filings have taken place today in terms of folks that want to claim that regardless of what the state has passed, they have a religious obligation in some cases to end a pregnancy. And the state and the enforcement of that law, of this law against them, is a violation of their free exercise rights under either the state legislation or under the state constitution. And, you know, of course, we're going to see how these cases pan out, but that's really where the action is going to be, both because of the reasons I've stated, that the states, uh, folks seeking vindication in this regard are going to have to look, for the most part, to state uh, state authorities. Uh, the federal absent of that kind of relief, uh, generally speaking, a statute that is applicable, that is generally applicable to all persons, to all pregnant women in this case, uh, is going to be enforceable against somebody regardless of their religious beliefs as long as it hasn't been enacted for the purpose of discriminating against that religious practice. So, Well, Richard, thank you very much. We're out of time. We've been talking about religious freedom issues raised by the Supreme Court's overturning of Roe v. Wade. Our guest today, Richard Fulton. As always, this has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring.